0: You'll recall prior to this that what has been unveiled before us is the wonderful expression of justification by faith that is evident in two of the great heroes of the Jewish community, Abraham and in David. Both of them have imputed to them righteousness by their faith. For David, he's the last example. David is this wonderful example of what Paul says God does. God is a God who justifies the ungodly david is in a predicament in which he's committed a number of sins in which there are no instituted sacrifices in the sacrificial system of the jewish worship yet he longs to be forgiven and cleansed and so he cries out to god for mercy and god brings mercy and god brings forgiveness and god brings cleansing to him and he exalts in this mercy and this forgiveness and this cleansing that comes to him not as a result of anything he's done but merely crying out to god and looking to God alone for this deliverance. And now we come, referencing this deliverance that's come to David, this blessedness of having his sins forgiven. We come to verse 9. And this is what we read. And I'm going to read it down through verse 17. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a a seal of righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of the circumcision, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise has, is made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Well, the Lord help us in the consideration of this passage. Well, for the Jews, their kind of step away from all the other communities around them, their step away from all the other nations, their step away from everyone as a non-Jew, was a step towards their identity with Abraham as their father. Abraham, in their mind, set them apart from all the other nations of the world. It was Abraham whom God had come to and God had called to leave the land and his family to go into a promised land. It was Abraham that surrendered that call and followed God. And In this sense, in the Jewish mind, Abraham is distinguished right from the start as presented to us this man who stepped out and lived the kind of righteous life that they were trying to follow an example in as well. And then Abraham believed God, and believed God the promises God made to him. And, and as a demonstration or expression that he was believing in God, Abraham further separated the Jew from all the nations of the earth by having himself and all of his family be circumcised, distinguished. Beginning that act and that expression that distinguished them from all the other nations. And then it was to Abraham then that God gave this promise. That their nation would be great and would be as many as the stars in the sky. And so for the Jew, when they thought of their unique position and their unique distinct place in the world and what separated them from everyone around them, it traced it back to Abraham. In Abraham, they kind of affirmed that they were a special people that with the mere, the sheer truth that they came from Abraham, delivered to them some sense of assurance or promise that they were a saved people that they were the people of God John the Baptist comes along John the Baptist is preaching to the people of Israel and he has a message for them that they're to come and be baptized in a baptism of repentance preparing themselves for the coming of the Messiah now this was a unique message because prior to this if a person were of the Gentile race and they wanted to enter into the Jewish faith they had to do a number of things there were men they had to be circumcised another thing is they all had to be ritually washed as an expression of their need to be cleansed from all the defilement of their Gentile and pagan ways, John the Baptist comes along to the people of Israel and says, No, you need to be washed. You need to be cleansed before the Messiah comes. So people were coming down and they were being baptized, but they were individuals who, you know, they didn't like this insinuation. They didn't like the insinuation that there was something other than their own unique inheritance as the people of Israel. That they needed to go through something they needed to do in order to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And so they basically were saying, wait a second, we're children of Abraham. We don't need to do these things. We don't need to be baptized like John the Baptist is proclaiming. And John the Baptist says to them, we find in Matthew chapter 3, 9. He says, do not think to say to yourselves that we have fought Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. That doesn't give you a special status. Don't say that. You've got to do these things. You've got to come and repent and prepare yourself for the coming of the Messiah. You have another example of this when the Lord Jesus is teaching and he's declaring that his word and his truth that he declares conforms with all truth and it's in receiving by faith what he is proclaiming that men are set free. He says, you'll come to me and you'll hear from me and you receive my words You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's found in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. Let me read to you a portion of it. Then Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now there the Lord Jesus, in a sense, is opening up a little bit of a vision... Of the blessing that God promised Abraham. God said, I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna bless ring. I'm gonna bless your seed, and through your seed, I'm gonna bless all the nations of the earth. And what's that blessing going to be? Well, among other things, it's a freedom. It's a liberation. It's a freedom from the bondage of sin. It's a freedom from the guilt of sin. It's a freedom from the condemnation of sin. It's it's a freedom also from the burden of somehow trying to, in your own power and your own strength, prove yourself and earn your way to God. And it's it's a freedom from the laws that instead of leading you to salvation, bring you under condemnation. Jesus says, if you know me and you know my truth and you receive it, my truth will set you free. Verse 33 of John 8, they responded this way. They answered to him and said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you say you will be made free? It's kind of interesting. They ignored the fact that Over their history, they've been slaves to the Egyptians and the Philistines and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks. And now, in a sense, they're in bondage to the Romans. Beyond that, they've been enslaved to their own practices and their own rules and their own laws. They've been in bondage to the constraint of the law that has never been able to make them righteous. And as a result, also they're in bondage to their own self-pride and the futility of that self-righteous pride. Here's what I want you to see here, though. It's exemplified with John the Baptist, and it's exemplified this encounter that Jesus has with them. Defense they have to prove that they're in a right standing, in a right state, is simply to say we're the descendants of Abraham. We're distinct from everybody else. We're in a unique position. We have a a unique access to and a unique claim on God's way, as God's people and God's salvation, because we are the descendants of Abraham. That makes us stand apart from everybody else in the world. Ours is a standing that grants to us salvation and a standing with God that no one else and no other people can claim. Part of Paul's mission and Paul's ministry, a significant part of it, was to go to the non-Jewish world and to proclaim to them that no matter their race and no matter their sex and no matter their social status, that all of them by faith could gain a right standing and a reconciled relationship with God. And in order to make this point... The Holy Spirit leads Paul to go to Genesis chapter 15 and build his argument. And so what's wonderful is in order to make this point, God takes Paul back to the very place that the Jew goes to claim that they're distinct from everyone else. And they have this unique favored position and status for salvation that nobody else has. The Holy Spirit has Paul go back there to prove just the opposite. It's not just for the people of Israel. It's not just for the Jews. It doesn't, in a sense, give them any unique saving status that God has not made available to all the nations. Yes, it begins with Abraham. But from Abraham, you don't have this distinction where you're special and above everybody else. From Abraham, God reveals a truth and a way of salvation that goes to all people. It is in Abraham that a faith is broadcast to all the world by which all can be made right with God and be brought into relationship with Him. Abraham, in this sense, didn't establish a distinct race or nation of people that had a singular claim on God and His blessings. Through Abraham, God generated a work that could produce multiple races or nations that would come to exist and rise up under the blessing that God had promised. Like Abraham... The Israelites were the starting point of unfolding this wonderful blessing that came by faith. They become a case study throughout the Bible from beginning to end of God's faithfulness to bring sinful and rebellious people through faith under his blessing and bring to them a fruition of all of his promises. And God makes Israel a case study for this. But they're not alone. In that study we have revealed to us The promises of faith and of life that are to come to a multitude of nations through Abraham's belief. And that's that's what Paul is getting to and what Paul is illustrating in this passage. I want you to keep your fingers in Romans 4. We're going to go back to it. But for a moment, go to Genesis chapter 15. This is where Paul takes us back to. Genesis chapter 15 God has first made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. God renews the promise in Genesis 15. God renew the promise again in Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, he has left his family and his homeland. And he's gone to the place where God has told him that he was going to give him a land. And out in that place, God was going to make a great nation from him. And through him, God was going to bless all the nations of the earth. Now, Abraham has a problem he can't solve in his mind how is it that a great nation is going to come from him when he's old and his wife is barren and he has no son and the only heir that he can think of is a man who is a servant among his tents. This man who is simply a servant, a slave, is this one who is going to be the one who's going to receive and through which this promise that has been given to him by God is going to go out and this nation is going to rise because he can't think of it any other way and God responds to him in verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, speaking of that servant or slave, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said to him, so God has brought Abraham, he's met with him obviously inside one of Abraham's tents, he brings him outside the doorway of his tent, and he said, Look now toward the heavens. And count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then verse 6 is the key verse that we were focused on last week. Of verse fifth, chapter 15. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord. And he, God, accounted it to Abram for righteousness. He believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And there, in the Old Testament, is the first wonderfully plain text, just only 15 chapters into your Bible that teaches and declares this wonderful truth of justification being made right, having God put to your account righteousness by faith alone. Abraham believed God. He believed that God would keep his promise to him. And as we said in our last message on this passage, that above everything else, what God wants from the individual is to be believed. God wants us to believe in him and believe what he says and believes what he promises. Here is Abraham who is powerless in himself without any ability to produce an heir. He has nothing in himself that he can do or labor to, in a sense, bring about this blessing that God has promised to bring through his own body and through his own seed. He has no way of doing it himself, but he believes that God, that God is going to be faithful to his promise. We're told based upon that belief in God that God is true to his word and to his promise that God accredits to Abraham's account a righteousness that up to that point in time Abraham didn't have. He's declared righteous before God. Now we're in Romans 4.17. So take your Bibles back there for a second. Go to Romans 4.17. Actually, I'm going to have to go to Genesis 17. So keep your finger in Genesis. You can pop back and forth easier that way. But now in Romans 4.17, I think what Paul is doing in this verse is Paul is bringing us ...to that moment of faith beneath the canopy of stars in which God makes this promise to Abraham. I think it's most natural to understand that this text is the Spirit of God revealing to Paul... That at that time when God made this promise that through his seed there was going to be this multiplication of descendants. That God was revealing to Abraham that not only would he arise up from his seed. And from that seed this one great nation and not other great nations naturally through a seed. But that there was going to be a spiritual flourishing of those who by the same faith that Abraham was expressing. God was going to bring to his account you might say or God was going to bring about by his faith, that was going to number the stars of the skies. I think that's the point. I think that's the idea. God is saying, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. In fact, now, actually, let me read to you verse 17. 4.17, I'm going to read to you in Romans. Then I'm going to have you take your fingers and go back to Genesis 17. So verse 17 says this. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him, who he believed. In other words here in the presence of God in whom he believed God said I have made you the father of many nations. Now that phrase I've made you the father of many nations is actually from Genesis 17. So go back there for just a second. We have to kind of pop around here for just a moment. Here's the first thing, point I kind of want to make to you. Because of Abraham's belief in God he became the father of all those in a wonderful way. He became the progenitor of all those who believe in God's promise by faith for salvation. That God now, through Abraham, is going to count, in a sense, the expanding expression of faith that's going to grow and extend out to many nations. It's all going to rise from this moment of time when Abraham believes God's promise. And so, God takes Abraham, He takes him outside that tent... He brings him before the night sky. He catches a vision of all these countless stars overhead. And God says, Abraham, I'm going to grant from your faith a seed of believing individuals that will expand in number beyond the stars that are above your head. And Abraham doesn't waver in this promise of God, but he trusts in God. He trusts that God is going to work and God is going to move. But there will come a time when Abraham begins once again to doubt how God is going to bring this about. And how God is going to fulfill this. And so God comes back in Genesis chapter 17. And God renews this vision and this promise to Abraham. And you read it in verses 2 through 4. It's here that Paul gets this phrase, father of many nations. When Abraham was 99 years old. It's pretty old. When Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. And will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying. As for me behold. My covenant is with you. And you shall be a father of many. It's a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. But your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of Many or a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Now, that all expands out from that moment when God took Abram outside his tent and he looked at the stars, and God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to raise up a seed from you through which. Your descendants of faith will be like the stars of the sky. They believe God and they trust God and that thing. For that promise. I want to make an application for you. I want you to see here the potential that God sees in the faith of powerless and impotent individuals who have no ability to, to establish their own salvation or accomplish their own salvation or to bring blessing down upon the earth. But they simply, in their powerless state, set their faith upon God's promise and trust in Him alone. I want you to see the potential that God sees expanding out from that moment of faith. What we see outside the tent in that night, and what we see here in Genesis chapter 17, is an old man, a wanderer, a homeless man, an individual who we might think to ourselves as far gone and gone too far along to go back and make more of his life. He's coming towards the end of it. He's not at the beginning of it. He's not at the point in time in which you would begin to nurse and think about the fruitfulness and the things he's going to accomplish in his life. All he had to offer God at that moment was a belief that God could be believed, that God could be trusted. And in that believing, in that moment, from that believing man, God saw the father of all those who would believe after him. God saw from him the seed that is the growing progeny of expression of the children that would rise up from that moment of faith, the seed of a growing progeny of believing ones. God saw through His natural descendants the rise of the saving seed, the Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. But God also saw the spiritual seed of faith that would rise up from Abraham and grow into a number of individuals beyond the stars in the sky, a multitude of nations who would come and bow to the Savior, and believe God's promise of salvation through Him. You see the potential of our faith? And trusting in and believing in Him? From our faith, which rises from us at our point of complete weakness and brokenness, when we recognize there is nothing that we can do to remove this sin that is accumulated in our lives, there's nothing that we can do, there's no ladder that we can climb that can bring us into the presence of God, There's no way whatsoever. There's no act that we can conduct to remove our sins from us. But we believe that God comes to us in our weakness and our impotency. And God would deliver us and forgive us and save us. God is not simply offering a moment for us to have a reprieve. But what God is opening up in that moment of faith. Is God is opening up a future that extends out and expands out. Beyond something we cannot even imagine. In the moment that we receive God's blessings he opens up for us the promise of unending blessing in Jesus Christ. And as we embrace it, he begins to expand out from our lives as a starting point, an ever-expanding extension of faith that can go to others. So, in a sense, at this very moment, wherever you are, wherever you are in your life, you're potentially at the same place that Abram was as he stood outside that tent. Your faith has the potential As you trust in him and you yield in him and say, God, I don't have anything in me to deliver myself from my sins. And I have nothing in me to produce any great outcomes to your glory and honor. But I believe you want to pour your blessing on my life. And I believe you want to bring me into a right relationship with you. And I believe you want to live your life through me. And I trust in you and I believe you for your promises. Out of that faith, God initiates from your life the potential the expansive potential of a faith that can go on from there to others. Think about this. If you you lead one person to the witness of Jesus Christ. And a declaration of their own need of a savior. Because of their sins and their inability to save themselves by their own good works. You lead them to that moment and that hour in which they turn from themselves. And from their own sin and their own pursuit to make up for it. in their own efforts to see that Christ has done it all for them on the cross. And you lead in that moment where they believe that Jesus Christ has done all that for them. And they embrace Him as their Savior. At that moment, you've participated through the aid of the Holy Spirit in changing the contour of eternity. That has changed the whole dimension of what God is planning and what God is doing. God has mysteriously put you in a sense in the the midst of His plans. And He's used you as a conduit through which He is expressing and expanding this Great work of the ministry of the gospel and the righteousness that comes by faith alone. And if it can be said of Abraham, right, that from you this constellation will rise. Your descendants will rise. In a sense it can be said of us as well. In a sense it can be said of us as well. Because that's the nature of faith. It not only makes me right with God, but it opens up a potential of impact that I, I can't even Imagine. Couldn't even get my mind around. I want you to see something with this about Abraham. See here that with Abram, who would be the physical father of Israel. So God is making a promise that out of him is going to rise this nation of Israel. And he also is going to be physically the father of a number of nations. The Ishmaelites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, the Midianites. And there are a few more ites in there that rise from Abraham. The God is, in a sense, making this promise of a physical seed that is going to grow and expand. But see here that God is beyond that, promising a boundless seed of faith that will impact the spiritual life, new life, to a multitude of nations. Raising up not only individuals who become new creations in Christ, but raising up a procession of redeemed and newly created nations that would come from his expression of faith and receive his blessing. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, we have a vision of this. Throughout the prophets, periodically, we have these wonderful points of vision. I think one of them is in Isaiah chapter 11, where the Bible anticipates a day when the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth like the waters of the sea. We just read from Psalm 72, where the, the nations will all come to worship him, and all the nations will turn to the king that is coming. In Malachi 1, verse 11, it says this. From the rising of the sun... Even to the going down. That's the that idea of the circuit of the sun. Traveling around the earth. We prayed about that in our opening prayer. This vision of nations that are chasing the sun. And they're waking up to praise the Lord Jesus. And worship him. From the rising of the sun. Even to its going down. My name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place. Incense shall be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great among the Among the nations, righteous men, men and women made righteous by faith in me, will offer righteous praise to my name throughout the nations, says the Lord of hosts. The Apostle John, again, has a vision of this climactic realization of this promise in the song of the redeemed that he hears before the throne of God in Revelation chapter 5. Verses 9 and 10, John writes this. And they sang a new song, saying... You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. And there's a vision. Universal tide and expansion of those that are coming to Christ. I think there are any number of applications we can make here. But let me make one in light of the context in which Paul is pronouncing this. Because he's countering an attitude and an idea that's among the Jewish people at this time. Be careful lest our faith in God's saving work through Jesus Christ. Becomes a point of group identity that looks inward and not outward towards others. Be careful that our faith community doesn't become our cloister our chosen collective to close us off from others. No. When by faith we are put into the family of God, we become members of the people of God, and in that moment we are brought into the family business. We are brought into the trade of our Savior and our Lord, which is to become fishers of men, and it's to take the gospel to the ends and to all the people of the earth. We're called out from all these other nations. We are separate in a sense. But our separation is not a separation of distance. Where I distance myself from individuals. It's a separation of distinction. I now have a distinct duty to be an ambassador of the reconciliation that comes through Jesus Christ to all the world. Calling all men and all nations to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Our expectation is through the witness of the gospel. Not only will individuals become new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. If anyone. There is an individual. Is in Christ. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. And that's part of the expectation. An individual comes to Christ. And he becomes a new creature in Christ. But here if I understand what God is saying to Abraham is true. There is not only an expectation of individuals. Who are experiencing the new creation. But a promise that God will fashion in a similar way. Newly created nations of newly made men and women that will inherit his full blessing and in faith inherit the full realm of the earth. Nations. A multitude of nations who are rising up. When I come to Christ, I receive Christ as my savior. I don't lose my personality. I don't lose a sense of my past. I don't lose my identity. My birth certificate still says who my mother and father were, right? But I'm still a new creation in Christ. Something new and tremendous has happened to me so that I can't identify myself just in those old ways. I'm a new man in Christ. Now here's what I think. I think God does the same thing for nations. He raises up those who believe and trust in him so we see from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. A host of individuals say, we're going to seize the realm of the earth. It doesn't mean they're going to lose their identity. It doesn't mean they're going to lose their past. Their parentage will remain the same. But oh, through it, God has demonstrated his faithfulness to pursue through all these things, a people to redeem unto himself. So that all the nations will come and worship him. What a wonderful vision. We come out from the world, that's our distinct call, so that we may go back into the world To proclaim the promise of righteousness with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And a blessing that should come through Christ upon all the nations for his name's sake and his glory. Ernest Dung has a testimony that he shares. He's the CPE director for our ministry in Cambodia. And when he was a young man he grew up in the palace of the king. He was part of a band that the sons, the princes of the king, had formed together. The band was called Black Stone. They would play music from the Beatles and things like that. He also had an entourage of young men that used to follow him around because his father was the commander of King Sionic's armies. And so he had somewhat of a group that followed him around, and he was like the little leader of this group. And on one occasion, he was told that there were really pretty girls at the only church, the only Christian church that was in the city of Phnom Penh. And so he thought, well, I'll go and see what kind of pretty girls are there. Well, it was a bit of a trick. When he got there, there was a man that was preaching, and this man was from a far lower class of people than he was a part of. And this man was preaching the Christian gospel of Jesus Christ. And the whole time he was listening, he was getting more and more angry, and more and more angry, because here was this foreign religion that was being declared as truth to his own Khmer people. And after the message is over with, as he's being filled with anger, and he's a young man, the song is being sung, Just As I Am. He remembers this later on in his life. The pastor comes to him, directly to him, and asks if he wants to give his heart to the Lord Jesus. And Ernest spits in the man's face and storms out of that place. How would this man have the gall to impose upon him some white man's religion to take the place of the religion that had been given and as a part of their nation? later on he'll go through the killing fields and he'll escape the killing fields and he'll lose his entire family and he'll be in a cali refugee camp in which he realizes his life is being consumed with bitterness and anger and resentment and he sees no way forward for his life in this turmoil of conflict even though the war has ended and the Paul Pot's regime has been put down and the Khmer Rouge has been put down the battle is still within him and he wants to go back his thought is I just want to go back and I'm to find the people who are responsible for my family's death and I want to kill them all. But he realizes that's not something he's going to be able to act out. And he can't live in that way. And so he goes to find an answer for it. And he goes, he doesn't even understand why, but he actually goes to a place in this refugee camp where the gospel is being preached, where a ministry has been set up by Christian missionaries. And he hears the gospel again and it's the exact same gospel he'd heard before. And then he falls on his knees and asks Jesus to come and forgive him and change his life. And as he's praying to receive Christ in his life, he hears some youth in the background and they're singing, just as I am among themselves. See, how God is pursuing and calling him. When we sent Ernest back to Cambodia, Ernest, what's your one great vision for your nation? I want my nation to become one of the great Christian nations in Southeast Asia. That's my vision. It's kind of a wonderful thing that's happened since he's been there. You know, the prime minister of Cambodia said to him, Ernest, we like the influence that Christ is having on our nation. Our goal is that you would work with us so that we could see an evangelical church in every village in Cambodia. Right? But you know that idea that he had, you know, that this is just like a, a Buddhist nation or this is, and this is a foreign religion that's coming? We have to be careful ourselves that we don't conduct ourselves in such a way that we express that to others. That somehow we have a corner on this truth. We have a standing estate. You can have a founder's mentality in a sense. I've come from a long line of Christians, and my family believed, and we've trusted, and we know. And God has blessed our nation for years, and we need to go out and spread the gospel of what God has given to the United States of America. And we need to be careful that we don't in any way comport ourselves and go to people with a vision of shaping them into our national identity. But to believe instead that by faith in Jesus Christ, God can give birth to nations and nations and nations, a multitude of nations that will bow at His feet and worship Him. You're going to see how the attitude that it set up in the Jews worked completely against this idea. The very place where God was opening up this vision to Abraham, they were, in a sense, by their attitudes, nullifying that vision. They weren't trusting God and believing God for those things because they were more interested in acquiring for themselves privileges and status to be servants of God's righteousness that comes by faith alone. For ourselves... As we gather and we worship in our churches, let's be careful that we're not just exalting in our unique status and blessing. When we respond to what's happening in our nation and we feel threatened because we feel we're losing freedoms, let's not react simply because we want to hold on to the unique positions and blessings that we have. It may be that God is trying to push us off of the ground in which we just enjoy ourselves and enjoy what God has given to us because God has a vision for the nations that they'll come and worship at the feet of our Savior Jesus Christ let's bow our heads and now O God take us back to that day or that hour when the wonderful truth the salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ alone where we could be forgiven and washed and cleansed by faith in Him, where we could become in a moment a child of God. In that moment of belief, we could become heirs of all eternity and all the promises and blessing of God. Take us back now to that hour and that moment. Maybe as a child, maybe as an adult, whatever our struggles were, Whatever the hour that brought us to that moment where we cried out to you, we found a a salvation that was personal and deep and it was for us. And then open our eyes up to look upward to the stars. and Believe in our faith that you want to accomplish more, not simply touching our lives, but through our faith and trust in you and through our obedience to you and our surrender to you and our faithfulness to be witnesses of what you've done in our lives and who you are. A belief, oh God, that through us you wanted to bring in a constellation and those that ripple effect of faith upon those around us and around the world. And we're we'll rejoicing, we'll praise you for this unexplained potential. We who had nothing in ourselves to offer, we who had nothing to bring, only clinging to you in our weakness, a faith, dear God, that was near desperation. Because there is no other answer for us. And out of that desperation of faith, oh, that you would construct something bold and loud and impactful that would go to the ends of the earth. We thank you for this. We praise you. Jesus, help us to be faithful to the call we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.